Hey, uh, today, as Jeff said, we are beginning a new series leading up to Easter that we're calling The Resurrection. It's appropriate, I suppose, that we would spend some time in the weeks before Easter talking about Jesus' resurrection and what His resurrection means for us today. We know that churches all over the world are going to be touching on these same things in the weeks leading up to Easter. However, uh, what we've found is that a good number of people have a fuzzy or I'd say maybe an incomplete understanding of what it means when we say that Jesus was resurrected. We've also found that many also have a fuzzy understanding of how Jesus' resurrection is directly connected to their lives today. And so we felt it was important to take some time to talk about Jesus' resurrection in the hope of clearing up some of this fuzziness. And so we're having this series uh, leading up to Easter. And it's a series in which we're going to dig deeply into the Scripture looking for answers to some really big questions. Um, The first question we're going to look at is, what actually happened on Easter morning? What actually happened? And we'll be talking about questions like, what will our own resurrection be like? And we'll talk about how we should be living differently now because of this, because of Jesus' resurrection. And today, I'm going to get right after it and begin this series by answering the question, what actually happened on Easter morning? But before we get into the answering that question, I, I want to talk about two things. It's somewhat personal, sort of guarding myself here a bit. Normally, when I preach, if you've ever heard me before, I take a passage and I dig deep into the background of it, and I give you the language stuff, and I, I do all that sort of stuff, and then we, come, we just look at one passage together usually, but um, the truth is that this topic today necessitates that I look at a number of different Scripture passages, and that's just different for me. I just wanted to, want you to know that. This is, I feel as awkward about this as you may feel when I start talking to you in a moment about these things, and so I'll put the Scripture on the, up on the uh, screen, and, and you'll be able to look it up. It'll be in the notes later. Secondly, much of finding the answers to a question like what actually happened on Easter morning involves being clear about why what we believe about the resurrection is true. And there's a word that is used to describe when somebody says why they believe something is true, and it's called apologetics. And though I don't want to drop that this is an apologetic sermon on you, it's an apologetic sermon. And so, hey, I'm comfortable in that role, but I just don't normally do it, okay? And so I just want everybody to be aware that that's where we were headed, okay? Tim's a little different today. I got through the first hour and nobody walked out halfway through, so it's either they were asleep or they were fine. So we'll just get going now. Uh, But before we jump into it, I want to pray. And I also, I want to welcome everybody that's out watching us online. We're glad you're with us. I hope you stick around after what I've just said. And uh, let's pray and ask God to be with us in this hour. Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to be together. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the time we've already had. Um, I pray that your heart has been moved by our worship of you and that what I say now will also bring glory to you and to the work that you've done through your son. 
I pray that my words will be yours as we spend this time today together. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, to get to the answer of today's question, I want to begin by saying that all four of the New Testament books that we call the Gospels, and those are the books that tell us about the life of Jesus and His ministry, and that would be Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All four of these books, each in its own way, describes the end of Jesus' life on earth by talking about three major events. They all tell us first that Jesus was crucified and that He died on a cross. Okay? All four of them tell us that. That's the first event. The second event is that after Jesus died, He was buried in a tomb. And what that would mean in their world is that in a space that had been carved in a rock face or a big, big, huge boulder or something, they had carved a space to slide His body in there. And then they had rolled a big stone over the hole that had been the end of it so that animals wouldn't get into it and eat the body, okay? So that's being buried in their world. So Jesus died and he was buried. And the third thing is that every book talks about is on three days after Jesus died and was buried, he was resurrected from the dead. Three days after he died, he was resurrected from the dead. I just want you to know, and this is sometimes a confusion for folk, but three, in their world, you calculated days like this. Days went from sundown to sundown. That was a day. The beginning of a day was at sundown, and one minute before sundown was also called a day. And one minute after a, a, the next sundown was also a day. And so if you have 24 hours and two minutes, three days. So that's why when Jesus is crucified on Friday and he dies on Friday, but on Sunday morning he rises up, it's, it's not in our thinking, which is three 24-hour periods, it's three days to them. So Jesus was raised from the dead, or resurrected after three days. Now there's almost no argument that Jesus was crucified. Numerous secular scholars outside of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John tell us that Jesus was crucified by the Roman authorities. But it's, in keep, it's important to keep in mind that if this were not the case, if Jesus had not been crucified by the Romans, there is absolutely no reason whatsoever that anybody would make up a story about Jesus being crucified by the Romans. Crucifixion was the most humiliating, terrible way for a person to die at that time, and it was especially shameful to the Jews. It was especially demeaning to the Jews to think about anybody being crucified for a whole bunch of reasons, mostly spiritual take my word for it, if anybody was going to make up a story about the death of a man who was thought to be the Jewish Messiah, having him killed off by the Romans through crucifixion was the last way they would go about making up some story about some guy, okay? Some Jewish guy. This is just I don't think I can express enough how despised and horrific and disgusting death by crucifixion was to them, especially the Jews, 
And there's no way that someone would tell a story about a Jewish teacher and a healer who was thought to have been the Messiah, a good Jewish man, and then they'd end the story if they're going to make it up by having him crucified. That is, unless his life actually ended by being crucified, okay? Now, there have been some, though, that have questioned whether Jesus actually died. Some people say that he simply fainted. This is called the swoon theory. I love that. The swoon theory that he swooned on the cross. He just passed out. Everybody thought he was dead, and he came to later, and he got better really quickly. Now, I know that there are stories around about people that were thought to be dead, but surprisingly, we found out later they were still alive. You know, we hear about that occasionally, but it's really rare. The truth is that ancient people knew when somebody was dead. And it's a condescension. It's a condescension for modern people to think that ancient people were too primitive to know whether somebody was dead or not. And can I just, I just tell you, the Romans were really good at killing people. They majored in killing people, and they knew when they'd been successful at it, okay? Let me just tell you. And one other thing, if it had been true that after Jesus had been whipped within an inch of his life by a cat of nine tails, a leather, leather straps with pieces of metal put in, embedded into it, if he'd been whipped 39 times with that, probably because 40 was supposed to kill you, but they beat Jesus with that till they said he wasn't recognized as a human being. Think about that. And then he was crucified, and then finally somebody stuck a sword up in his side right here to make sure he was dead if he hadn't died, and they'd stuck him in a tomb and rolled a big stone in front of it. He certainly, if he woke up out of his, his stupor, he wouldn't have had the strength to push that stone away and then walk to wherever the disciples were. I mean, let's just say for a second that he wasn't dead, but he'd only passed out. The response to Jesus showing up where the disciples were hiding wouldn't have been this sort of fearful welcoming that they, we read about in the Gospels. No, they'd have looked at him and said, yikes, Jesus, you look terrible. Let's get you to a doctor. I'm just saying, all four Gospels and every ancient source that we have tells us that Jesus died on the cross from the terrible injuries that he suffered at the hands of the Romans, okay? Now, there's also some argument whether Jesus was actually buried. It is true the Romans tended to leave criminals on their crosses until their bodies rotted enough to slime off onto the ground and be eaten by animals. They did this on purpose with most peoples because this was a way for them to create long-term billboards. And you know, in Jesus' story, they put a thing above and said what his crime was, and, th- and they did that to criminals so that everybody who went by could see, if you do that, what's on that card above his head, then you're going to get the same thing. These were, were signs to the whole community that you don't, you don't do what this guy did. 
You see, the Romans were well aware of the fact that in almost all cultures of the ancient world, it was a real offense not to allow someone to be buried. And so they would often leave bodies on the crosses to fall apart and be eaten by animals as a way of showing disrespect to the accused criminal and to, the, to the, his family or her family and to the community in general. And this may surprise you, but just a couple of years ago, out in our lobby after I'd preached an Easter sort of sermon, a man came up to me and he goes, come on, you don't really believe that stuff about Jesus and the empty tomb, do you? Everyone knows that Jesus' body was left on the cross and eventually eaten by wild dogs. So it's out there. What those that hold that position are missing is the vast amount of non-biblical historical evidence that the Romans specifically allowed the Jews to take dead bodies off their crosses and bury them on the day that the crucified person died. And the reason is this, burial on the day of death was a huge spiritual and cultural issue to the Jews. The Old Testament speaks directly to the fact that when someone dies, you bury them before sundown. And the Romans, who were dealing with the Jews, and I don't know if you know this, but the Jews at that time were the most difficult people to rule in the world. And they didn't want to, they were so easily riled up that the Romans were very careful not to rile them up over something like this. So most of the time, most of the time, the Jews, the Romans would say to the Jews, okay, he's dead, take him down and bury him just so they wouldn't have trouble. Now it is true that the Romans didn't allow them to take, the Jews to take people's bodies off of crosses when the Jews were in times of open rebellion. If the Jews were really acting up, the Romans would make them leave the bodies on the crosses and it would just be to discourage them and, and just, just to get in their faces. But Jesus died during a time of peace And so the request of Joseph of Arimathea, the request that he made of Pilate, and Pilate is the Roman who had Jesus crucified, when Joseph of Arimathea made his request, which by the way we read about in all four Gospels, when he made the request that he take Jesus' body down off the cross and bury it in a tomb before sundown makes perfect sense. It fits right in with all of the evidence, the vast evidence that we have concerning the Roman practices towards the Jews and the Jewish practices of burial at the time. I mean, I feel we can be certain that Jesus was buried, as John's gospel tells us, in a new, never used tomb that was carved in a rock face in a garden near the place where Jesus was crucified. You can count on that. Jesus' body did not rot and when was eaten by dogs. So we've covered the first two events. From the end of Jesus' life, Jesus died and then he was buried. Now the third event in Jesus' life was, or in the story that we have, was that he was resurrected three days after his death and burial. 
First, we need to be on the same page as to what the Bible means, and in particular, what it, what it meant in the first century when people used the term resurrection. The Greek word that gives us resurrection is anastasis. Anastasis means this. It means a dead person, after having been dead for a good while, comes back to life and rises up in a new transformed body. Let me read that again. It means a a dead person, after having been dead for a good while, comes back to life and rises up in a new transformed body. Okay, now I want you to know, the Romans and the Greeks did not believe in resurrection at all. They didn't believe it was possible for this to happen. They believed that when you died, you spent eternity in a hazy spirit of some, as a hazy spirit of some sort, in a very shadowy, dark, undefined, not so good place called Hades. It was a place that offered no hope of escape. Death was a one-way street, and the idea of resurrection, the possibility of dead people coming back to life in new bodies, not only wasn't in the cards, but was ridiculous to the Romans and the Greeks. Also, the pagan cultures that were also around the Jewish people at the time, they did not believe in the, the possibility of resurrection either. They had multiple ideas about what happens after we die. But none of the ideas about what happens to us after we die involve the resurrection of the dead into new physical bodies. Okay? Now, the truth is that a lot of the Jews did believe that eventually all Jews, except those who were called reprobate, would be resurrected from the dead. Reprobate meant you were like a traitor or a tax collector, that you were somebody that didn't follow the law, and they didn't think those people would be resurrected. But they did believe that there would be a resurrection, a physical resurrection of the dead. But there was an important detail to this belief that they had at the time, and it's this. This resurrection wasn't to take place until what they called the last day, meaning the day that the Messiah had established God's everlasting kingdom. Then and only then, on that one day, sometime way out there in the future, then everyone who was a Jew who followed, would everyone who was gonna be a part of God's everlasting kingdom, they would then be resurrected, raised from the dead all at the same time. That's the main thing that Jews held on to. The resurrection of the dead was thought to be coming. It was a one-time event. Everybody got raised up from the dead together. And this makes sense of, if you remember, if you know about the story of Lazarus when he was raised from the dead by Jesus, when Jesus showed up at the tomb many days after Lazarus had died, he says to Martha, He says, Martha, Lazarus will rise again. He says something like that to her. And she says to him interesting things. She says, yes, he will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. 
So what she's thinking, she believed like most Jews that there was a last day coming when all Jews would be resurrected. But when that day was going to come was anybody's guess. It didn't give her any hope because her brother had died. And Jesus is just, she's thinking, Jesus is just talking about something way out there. So while not all Jews, it's true, not all Jews believed in this one time for everybody resurrection of the dead, but most Jews did. Most Jews thought we died, we rested in some way for a while, and then we would all be summoned out of the grave and resurrected into new physical bodies that were eternal. The idea that Jesus, just one man, would be resurrected from the dead, that Jesus would rise up out of the grave in a new transformed eternal body on his own while everybody else just kept on living the same kind of lives that we're living right now wasn't something that anybody, whether they were a Roman or a Greek or a pagan or a Jew, none of those people were thinking about that at all. So to be clear, when we read in the Bible that Jesus was resurrected, that he was anastasist. It is not saying that Jesus became some sort of disembodied ghost-like spirit, or that he became an angel, or that he was some sort of spiritual force cycling around that could appear places and go through walls as a ghosty kind of thing. No, this isn't what it was saying at all. All the gospels say the same thing. They all say that he was in a tomb after he died. And suddenly that tomb was empty because Jesus had been given a new body. He'd been resurrected on a specific day in history, a fact. That is what the gospel says happened on the first Easter. I do want to step back for a moment and point out that Jesus had clearly predicted that he would be killed and rise from the dead. In the Gospel of Mark, not once and not twice, but three different times, Jesus says this, He's, and it's almost an identical quote in each place. He goes, the Son of Man, and that's the way Jesus referred to himself, is going to be betrayed into the hands of his enemies, and he will be killed, but three days later he will rise from the dead. Now, that seems pretty clear to me that he knew what was coming. But listen to what the very next verse in Mark tells us. The disciples didn't understand what he was saying, however, and they were afraid to ask him about what he meant. And they certainly didn't know that this was going to happen on that first Easter morning. You know, with, with these four warnings, you might think that on that first Easter that they'd have all gathered up together out by that garden and been waiting around anxiously looking for Jesus to come walking up. But that isn't what we're told in any of the four Gospels. Matthew and Mark use these words, terrified, shocked, trembling, and bewildered to describe the disciples post Jesus' death. And in Luke, two angels practically quoted those words that I just read that Jesus said earlier when they talked to Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene 
was a woman who with another group of women went out to Jesus' tomb to put spices on the body. They would do this so that it wouldn't smell and they would spice it up so they could look at it a little longer. And they get there and there's an angel there and he says this, why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here, he is risen from the dead. Remember what he told you back in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and that he would rise again on the third day? But you know, Luke goes on to tell us that when Mary Magdalene, she heard those words from the angels and she ran back to the disciples and she yells out, she says to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, the tomb is empty. And the disciples' response wasn't this, they didn't go, we knew that was going to happen. He told us that a whole bunch of times. Woohoo! Jesus is alive. No, it says, what does it say? No, it says the story, story sounded like nonsense to the men. And they didn't believe it. And Luke was further to, in the next verse to say this, however, Peter jumped up and ran to the tomb to look. Stooping, he peered in and saw the empty linen wrappings. And he went home again wondering, what had happened. And even when Jesus finally did appear to all of his disciples, well, here, let me read what happened. Now, this, let me give you a context a little bit. Jesus had been, been, he had been risen from the dead, and he had walked with two people, we don't know exactly who, on a road to a town called Emmaus. And he'd been talking to them, and they We're going to have a meal together, and then these two people realized that this was Jesus alive. He was physically alive. And then we read this, then the two from Emmaus told their story. They had run to the disciples because they were all gathered up. They told their story how Jesus had appeared to them as they were walking along the road and how they had recognized him as he was breaking the bread. And just as they were telling about it, Jesus himself was suddenly standing there among the disciples. Peace be with you, he said, but the whole group was startled and frightened, thinking they were seeing a ghost. Why are you frightened, he asked. Why are your hearts filled with doubt? Look at my hands. Look at my feet. You can see that it's really me. Touch me and make sure that I am not a ghost, because ghosts don't have bodies as you, as you see that I do. As he spoke, he showed them his hands and his feet. Still they stood there in disbelief, filled with joy and wonder. And then he asked them, do you have anything to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he ate it as they watched. Now, I want you to know that Jesus did not ask them for fish because he was suddenly hungry. Ancient people, their belief was that you could tell the difference between a real person and a ghost because ghosts couldn't eat anything. Okay? So, Jesus asking to eat some fish was proof that he was a person, okay? This is a, in their world, Jesus eating something says a lot. He's not a ghost, all right? But the bigger point was that the disciples were still totally confused and uncertain, and yet somehow they had some joyous feeling about what they were seeing. John's gospel is even more explicit now keep in mind that John is one of, was one of the first disciples. He was with Jesus from the beginning. He'd heard and seen almost everything that Jesus had said and done, and yet even he reports that when 
Jesus' resurrection happened, it caught everyone, including him, off guard. So much so that one of the disciples, Thomas, went eight days thinking the rest of the disciples claimed that they had seen Jesus alive and the body was crazy talk. And it wasn't until he'd seen him and touched him that he believed it. The gospel writers all tell us that the initial response to the message that Jesus had been resurrected, that he was alive in a new physical body was confusion and shock and disbelief. They had all initially concluded the moment that they put Jesus in that tomb was that they'd been mistaken about this guy, Jesus. He wasn't the Messiah. And everything they'd given their lives over to for three years had been a waste of time. That is, until they saw Jesus and spoke with Jesus and ate with the resurrected Jesus, and then everything in their lives changed. Now let's be honest. Many say that Jesus didn't really rise from the dead. They say that what happened was that a few days of, after living with the reality of Jesus' death and getting over the shock and grief that they had that Jesus had died, the disciples all felt an overwhelming sense of the, some spirit in their souls and the presence of Jesus' ministry in their hearts, and they all just decided to carry on his ministry. This business of Jesus actually rising from the dead was myth that developed later. Well, that sounds nice, but the problem is that pretty much all that the disciples said from day one after they had seen the risen Lord was claiming that they'd seen Jesus in a physical body alive with them. They went to their graves, almost all of the 11 disciples, all but one, they were martyred put to death because they would not backtrack on their statement that Jesus was indeed the Messiah and that he was alive and that he'd been anastasist. He'd been resurrected. They never once said anything like, oh, we just feel Jesus in our hearts and we just want to tell everybody what a great guy he was, or we want to spread his love to the world now that he's gone. No, they never said that at all. They said Jesus, the one that was killed, is alive. And can I say it just one more time, that there was nothing in the Jewish understanding of the coming Messiah that included a Messiah who would be crucified and killed by the Romans. The Messiah was supposed to kill the Romans for heaven's sakes. The truth is that if the, that if the disciples weren't convinced that the tomb where Jesus was buried was literally empty of his dead body and that Jesus had been resurrected, they would have never made up this story. Never. The story would have been as preposterous as a story could have been and yet 
the story is in all four Gospels, and they all claim that it is historically and factually true. There's never a wink, wink, we're just making up a little parable. We're being metaphorical here about Jesus being alive. They never talk that way at all. They talk directly that he is alive, like physical. You can touch him and talk to him and have dinner with him if you want to. And they, out of those 11 original disciples, we have from the early church that 10 of them all were murdered, were martyred because they wouldn't stop telling people that the Romans had killed somebody, but he'd come back to life. Now, some people claim that the disciples never really saw Jesus alive after his crucifixion. They say that the disciples in their worked up emotional state, that they all had a hallucination of Jesus, of a living Jesus. There's just one problem with this. The Bible claims that the disciples and everybody who was in the upper room with them, plus 500 other people said at the time, and it's interesting when Paul talks about it, he says most of those people are still alive if you want to go talk to them about it. But that many people said they all saw Jesus physically alive post what we would call Easter morning. And I'm just going to say, you know, if somebody has a hallucination, it's pretty unusual that somebody else is going to have the same hallucination. But 500 people, over 500 people all having the same hallucination of a living Jesus, that just seems ridiculous. I'm just saying. Plus, if this wasn't true and people knew it, if they'd snuck, if the disciples had snuck into the garden and rolled the stone back when the guards were sleeping and they'd stolen the body and then they got caught later and they were saying Jesus was alive and the Romans said, we're going to kill you if you don't shut up about this living Jesus thing. They'd have gone, eh, on second thought, yeah, we just hid the body somewhere. I don't want to die over this made-up story. You know what? Not a one of them said that. They all went to their graves claiming that Jesus was alive and well forever. Now, the truth is that the details in the four Gospels about what actually happened on that first Easter morning are somewhat different. But this is common People who experience a highly unusual event tend to remember some of the details differently, especially when they're retelling the story of this highly unusual event some 30 years after it happened, okay? You know, in one version of it, one person runs to the tomb to see what's going on, and in another version, two people run to the tomb. In one version, there's one angel talking to people about what happened, and in another version, there's two people, two angels there. You know, it's a bit difficult to pin down exactly what happened on the first Easter morning, but can I tell you one thing? It's wonderful that the different versions of the Easter morning are different because that tells us that nobody took the original texts and fixed them so they were all the same. 
the fact that they're all a bit different says we have very close to what the original writers wrote and nobody in 2,000 years has come and fixed them so the story's all the same in all four books. That's wonderful that it's all different. But even though that it's difficult to pin down exactly what happened on that first morning, all four records of the death of Jesus end with real people in real time meeting and interacting with a real Jesus who was alive. They all say that. And this is the message of Easter, that Jesus is alive and that his resurrection, his return from the grave is the beginning of God's new age where new life is possible for everybody. It's possible as a reality for everyone. Jesus' resurrection said that God's creation and all of his purposes for his world are not lost due to mankind's rebellion. Jesus' new life proclaims to the universe that we are not doomed by sin into some hopeless, unending cycle of a short little life followed by a perpetual death in some shady, unknown space. Nor are we destined for eternity as some sort of spirits floating around without bodies. We don't become angels, folks. We do not. God wants us to live a physical life in his beautiful, wonderful creation. And Jesus' resurrection, his return to life as a fully formed physical man with the ability to walk and talk and eat and cook and enjoy the presence of others and experience the wonder of God's world, that should give us hope when we place our faith in him that we too will be resurrected into bodies that will never experience decay or pain or death again for eternity. That's what this is all about. Barry's gonna talk really deeply. Barry's gonna talk really deeply about these topics and the hope of Jesus' resurrection and what it should mean to all of us who have chosen to follow Jesus. Over the next couple of weeks, he's gonna talk about this leading up to Easter. But in the meantime, to answer that question, what really happened on Easter? Well, I, I can't explain exactly what happened in perfect detail. The gospel writers even are a little bit different in their details, but the ultimate answer to that question is this. Jesus, a man who lived a life in perfect harmony with all that God desires for mankind, a man who was falsely accused of crimes he did not commit and then was killed at the hands of the Romans. He rose up out of death in a new body and it's a body then and now that is free from the ravages of our fallen world for eternity. And because Jesus has conquered death and all of its curses, we too, can now live in the hope that someday we will join Jesus in resurrected, wondrous new bodies that will never decay, never yield to anything other than the deepest blessings of God. That's what happened on the first Easter morning, and I'm just saying that is worth celebrating. Let's pray, let's pray. Father, I pray that we will never forget all that your son accomplished on the cross. I pray that we'll never take what it means for him to go to the cross for granted. 
Father, I pray that we'll never forget all that you have done for us in raising Jesus from the dead. I thank you that his tomb is empty. And I thank you for the hope that we have in this life, for a new life now and a new life for eternity. I am so thankful that your word is so clear that faith in your son's death and resurrection means life with you for eternity, eternity, the way that you planned it from the beginning. I pray, thanking you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for watching, but don't stop there. We want you to find community at Grace Church, and the first step in doing that is going to gracechurch.us slash hub. There you'll find other sermons, details about upcoming events, and other important announcements. And make sure you subscribe to our channel so you don't miss out when we post something new. Thanks again for watching. We'll see you next time.